Hello, my name is Ala Monsour. I'm a Lebanese filmmaker and archivist based between Marseille and Beirut. My practice is research-based and focuses on examining modes of power and regimes of images within the scope of necropolitics. For TBA 21 stage, and in collaboration with Ashkal Alwan, I worked on the simulacrum of wars against terrorism and the worlds of ubiquitous surveillance and simulations it has since spawned. Over time, the archetypal textual and visual language of the political and the machine has cautiously configured the everlasting myth of a common rhetorical enemy. The enemy is a necessity that guarantees the sustainability of wars and their lucrative markets. For today, techno-intelligence is the guardian of the modern death apparatus. Subsequently, our modes of perception and affective spaces have been altered by this fast and furious militarized and performative multidimensional realm, carrying out our capacity to imagine beyond dystopia. By exploring the fictitious entities that are at play in the military entertainment complex, I embark on a retro-artificial journey across core capitalistic artifacts and precepts shaped by hyper-modes of power and control. Through the use of archival material and computer-generated imagery, sounds and texts, I navigate within both latent and visible spaces of violence carved in colonial imperialistic propaganda and algorithmic racial bias. Ultimately, I question the ongoing weaponization of consciousness, which is the epitome of future wars and world-building. To conjure the perpetuated state of violence, we must act not only as triggers of new forms of subjectivity, but moreover, we must defetishize technology and redefine representations of virility. I am Igor Ramirez, and that was Ala Mansour. You probably hear the gentle humming, even the cracking of the ferry I'm traveling in. I am recording this from my cabin in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's quite an interesting setting to think about wars, power and control. After all, so many of the great battles of humanity were fought on these same waters. And they're still today the setting for epic struggles, for tragedy also. As I said, quite fitting for this podcast. You will see. I leave you now with our guest host, Jiwa Zaye. My name is Riwa Sayer. I am speaking to you from Paris. This podcast travels alongside Allah's work that explores the machine and the human as sites of militarized violence, bodies meeting technology that surveils and represses so that the borders between the human and machine are blurred, while those between human and human are reified and encouraged. These technologies rest especially on infrastructures of control and their modes of coercion and hegemony. As we cross borders with or without microchipped passports, the microchip codifies the porosity of the border. Some bodies can pass and others can trespass. Which fragments of France, Palestine, Algeria, Germany, Lebanon do we carry with us as we are faced with a continuum of control and surveillance. 
If we disrupted geographies so that they no longer belong to nation-state borders alone, can control and coercion become the context and the conversation? The microchip passport grants me entry to France and the protest for Palestine is forbidden. To forbid the protest is to authorize violence on certain bodies. To authorize this violence is to consider certain bodies always already violent. I am joined by Nassira Genif, who is a French-Algerian sociologist and anthropologist, professor at Paris University and member of the LEGS Research Center for Gender and Sexuality Studies. Her book publications include The Feminists and the Arab Boy, among others. Nassira, welcome. I hand it over to you. I will share with you a story about my own past as a uh, as what I, how I became this French Algerian or Algerian French citizen and what it means up until today. So it all starts just after the end of the Algerian independence war, uh, 1962. During the five next years, the Algerians didn't have, a, a, at least those that didn't live in Algeria, they didn't they didn't have a proper nationality. They were allowed to, for the five next years, to choose between remaining French or becoming Algerian. So I don't know exactly what was my status when I was born in 1959. I knew I know that I was born French, uh, but then it took some some time, almost ten years, uh, for me to become Algerian. My father in 1967 made the decision at the end of this lapse of time to embrace the, nation, the, the Algerian nationality for himself and the whole family. In a way that was interesting because he was living in France, but he would never envision the fact that he could remain French after what happened and uh, the part that he took in the independence war. So it means in a way that as someone that was obviously labeled at some point of his life as a terrorist, being part of the Algerian struggle in France. He was to remain Algerian on the French soil until his death. And this also meant that he was bringing and, and uh, aiming at, at uh, the fact that my mother, who was uh, also as himself born as a uh, a native Algerian in Algeria in the early 20th century would remain on the French soil as an Algerian and that the kind of terror that eventually they, she would bring to the French society was bringing, uh, was bearing in her womb six children that would become part of the French society. And this is another kind of terror that obviously is very powerful today in France, especially if you think of the so-called theory of the great replacement, the grand remplacement, that is completely obsessed with uh, with demography. So this is how I ended up living in France. And uh, so there is this short story about how I acquired my uh, my French nationality very late in my life. Actually, I was uh, in my 30s. Uh, but be before I acquired the French nationality, I was uh, granted 
something that was called uh, in English that would be uh, a card of a permanent resident that was renewable every 10 years and that was mentioned to be a, a privileged resident. So we can discuss, discuss this notion of privilege later on. And this, this card had a very specific way of being um, built because it was secure. It was the first ID card in, in the French by, uh, issued by the French state that had all these devices that uh, control you. And that permit, you know, it was it was kind of, it was called secured. And if you look at uh, today's identity card, for example, national identity card, including the French one, this was the the card that I that I held back then in 1982. Was the laboratory was the way to assess what would become a major tool of of control, not only of bodies but also of uh, mobility and what would eventually become the secured uh, passport that we hold. So back then, I was very proud of my very fancy card. I thought that was, you know, you know, I was the only one who had that because all my French friends around me had this lousy, yellowish, you know, card in some sort of paper that is worth nothing. And naively, I didn't understand that I was the object of control, thanks to that kind of card. And I would remain so. So this is something that is very much entrenched in my own biography as a French Algerian, because I kept my Algerian nationality. I could have both. I came to realize more and more how under control I was. So not only would I remain the object of control from the, the nation state, but I, I grew to be an object of discipline from the French identity, uh, eventually prevail in taming those generations that were the children of terrorists and, and of natives from the former empire. So for those two reasons, I would say that according to what you're inviting us to think of, control and surveillance were implemented also through discipline. So I now turn to Hannah Tahir, who's a Palestinian-Armani playwright and political scientist with a focus on gender studies and who holds the colonial feminist knowledge creation close to heart. Hannah, over to you. I'm going to start with... Uh, speaking about citizenship uh, as a concept, because both that's something I work through, but also something that concerns me personally. So I'm going to start with the, uh, yeah, so I carry two passports, Jordanian and uh, German, and I am, all my family is originally from a third place, Palestine, so all of that doesn't really add up. It's already fragmented. And I think one of the things that I really keeps, I keeps bouncing up for me is how citizenship on the one hand is, uh, we, we're taught to see citizenship as a carrier of rights, as something that gives us access. And I'm thinking more and more, and of course, I'm not the only one. People like Manuela Boatka have been writing about that extensively, about citizenship as inherited property or citizenship as a mode of control and coercion. So, um, so I think that we really need to counter this uh, whole canon of Western thought that 
thinks of citizenship as um yeah, as something that of democracy as a mechanism to counterbalance social um, inequalities and to really think of it more like, no, actually citizenship is a mechanism not to counterbalance social inequalities. It is a mechanism of social, political, economic, generational um, inequalities. And I always found like play with this. So it seems to be this like abstract, like, why are you talking about concepts of citizenship? But they have very practical implications just as borders. So there's all this talk about, yeah, borders and nation states, they're imagined, they're fake. And it's like, yes, of course, they're imagined. Uh, but these borders and the, the differences in citizenship cause people to die. So then it's not that imaginative anymore, is it? It's like actual, real, and there's like no poetic. And the, the mechanism of citizenship kills people. So instead of thinking about citizenship as we are going to be included, it's maybe thinking also with Sarah Ahmed. So what are you being included in? So citizenship includes us in systems of oppression, exclusion, imperialism, nationalism, and racism. So this is something that I think I'm thinking with to your question also of coercion and control. And I think it really would help us disassemble the way we think about citizenship as inclusion and participation and look at it more like from its its ruptures, from its boundaries, from the edges of citizenship. And I think that's where we really learn a lot more about the truth of citizenship than when we look at uh, a kind of romantic idea of belonging and community. The, the fragmentation is something that, and fragmenting geographies is something I think about a lot. And give you an example. So for example, when I'm based in Amman right now, so I leave the house and basically I walk through streets I, while leaving my house or my grandmother's house in Amman. I walk through streets called Nablus, Akka, Yafa, Safad, Al-Quds and Haifa. And while I am walking through Amman, I'm already also at the same time taking a mental walk through all these Palestinian cities and each of these cities I know people who are from these cities, I know their stories. And so while I have my own experiences in this neighborhood, the experiences that that are in the cities whose names the street I walk through carry, they merge together. So it's all these little fragments of pieces being layered together. And, and so already this, I feel, is a storm, form of disrupting geography, um, mixing together experience, memory, narrative, uh, history. And and it's in these ruptures, for example, one of the places I walk by is Mustashfa Tahrir, which is very close uh, to here. And it always makes me think, okay, what is Tahrir? What is liberation for me as a person in a female body in a city like Amman carrying the citizenships that I do? What what would it mean, really, liberation? What would it mean if we could actually visit those cities whose streets 
uh, who, whose names these streets that we walk in carry. And um, I think that is a moment of fragmentation and rupture that could either be oppressive, and it is, but it could also maybe, I'm, I'm kind of pessimistic, but also I'm, I refuse to give up the hope of potential that these ruptures give us. It's, but it's more like a sort of stubbornness where I'm like, okay, everything that's around me doesn't really give hope for freedom or or breaking up borders. And it's more a kind of stubborn refusal to just accept that. And what I would like us to do is to speculatively explore what a radical elsewhere looks like. So it is very much about futurities in the present and myths that are made possible. So the question, the broader question is, could these possibilities that we are inhabiting as we speak and whose boundaries we are expanding with our resistance and labor rupture the continuity and pervasiveness of neoliberalism and narratives of terror? So what would happen if we substituted the myths of states of control with our own myths, those of resisting, of undoing, of deviating, and eventually of myths spilling into reality, our realities? Actually, the points where I started the, the conversation from may sound like uh, uh, the way citizenship was imposed on former colonized subjects may sound like there isn't much that can be done against uh, the politics of citizenship as a, as a beginning, as a means, and as an end. I think that from that point, it seems obvious, especially after what Hannah shared with us, and I completely agree with the fact that there's an ambivalence in citizenship between being a privileged which was mentioned on this resident card. I was a privileged resident. And uh, obviously, I would even more become one when I would acquire the French nationality. Uh, the ambivalence between this and the fact that nationality and citizenship is a, is a lethal uh, means of, of government. So once you acquire the, the conviction that this is how it works, how can you want to to keep on clinging to nationality and to citizenship? Isn't it obvious that whatever futurity can be imagined has to move beyond not only citizenship, but borders on the whole? Not only should one think that, why would I want to to keep on defending and justifying and legitimizing this kind of privilege of bearing the proper nationality and citizenship when one's, one thinks that this is precisely what uh, brings death and desperation in the world. So the first move towards, towards a futurity that might be livable is to uh, resign any kind of claim on citizenship especially those that are so privileged and so uh, so valued in order to acquire the kind of mobility that precisely is a privilege. But also because resigning citizenship and resigning this kind of privilege would just make borders senseless. 
meaningless, useless. And the whole thing is, as you said, Hannah, it's not about burning passports. It's about uh, dismantling. Yeah, I, I very much agree that we need to sort of dismantle these um, structures of also oppression and power. And I think so much has to happen with how much we embody those borders by way of coercion or by way of being socialized and seeing how much really, because I'm very clear, borders and passports aren't just in everyone's head. They're like, and we've said this before, they're very real mechanisms that have very real implications and that are in thinking them through to the end deadly. And you can, if you carry the wrong passport and you show up at the wrong border, you can be not only denied entry, but you'll be shot. So we shouldn't be like naive about that. But then at the same time, I think there is potential to rethink and to think where does the change start? And I feel there's a difference also. Maybe it has to do with generation or maybe it has to do with the kind of claims and demands you have. So I see generations who got their German passports, for example, a generation ahead of me or my parents' generation, they're much more likely, not not everyone, just generally to be like, no, but we need to fit in. We shouldn't like be very vocal because then they will like kick us out again. Like this fear is it's inscribed. So even without formal impositions, it's so in, it, it has been so internalized that you need to fit in and this fear that you carry in your in your body or to see the potentiality of how much really in the end is um performative but it's very these are like small small lines of what you can and can't do and what you want to do but testing things so i'm i'm just saying this because i'm i'm still thinking through this and 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 about thinking about futurity maybe this moment is something where at the same time you could think about possible presents that are more open more queer more feminist but at the same time it also you were talking about neoliberalism um just shows you how much how easily you can get co-opted into these systems and I think we should continue to ask those questions and to try and find these little avenues. And if they fail and if they get co-opted, we find new ones and other ones. Thank you both for this incredible uh, conversation. And maybe we leave it at that, the idea of you know embodying borders as something that we can transcend and something that we can do in conversations like the one that we're having right now. So thank you, Nasiha. Thank you, Hannah, for joining me today. I would like to thank Ala Mansour and Edward Nasser, who invited me to produce this podcast. It was brought to you by TBA21, the hosting institution, as well as Ashkel Alwan, who TBA21 is collaborating with for this work. We will close by listening to an excerpt from Dan's Jasadik Home. أخذ لي وقت أفهم جسدي جسدي الأنثوي جسدك بيروح بنام بغيب بغلط بتوب من سامح وبرجع بعيد للأبد ماشي مع ورقة تصريح من الطبيب جسدي بكفي غلطة وحدة انزلاق واحد صورة وحدة فيديو واحد 
كم من عين في على جسدي كم من وجه في لجسدي جسدي انثوي جسدي عربي جسدي العربي الانثوي كم ضمير في لجسدي في انا وفي انت في احنا وفي همي هم ضد احنا وانت ضد انا الكل ضد انا وانا ضد الكل حتى بالنضال عندي اضعاف من مسؤوليتكم اذا انت بتقاوم بتمس في صهيونيتهم اذا انا بقاوم بمس كمان بذكوريتهم Today's artist was Ala Manzoor Our guest journalist was Jiwa Zayem Remember to check out our platform on www.stage.tva21.org. The editor-in-chief of Stage is Francesca Thyssen-Bornemisa. Carlos Surroth is the director of Thyssen-Bornemisa Art Contemporary. Soledad Gutierrez is our content curator. John Aranguren is our curatorial assistant. Our producers are Soledad and myself, Igor Ramirez. Nina Speranda is our project manager. This episode was edited by Ana Esteve. And our theme music is by Carl Michael von Hauswolf. Thank you for listening. Thank you.